welcome back to Aligning America. I'm your host, Vincent Miller, and let's get right into things. Our first story today is going to be the inauguration of the 46th president of the United States, Joe Biden. And with his inauguration marks a number of factors that we need to cover very quickly and very briefly because we do have uh, quite a bit to get to. So our first factor in the inaugural process is going to be the 25,000 soldiers present. Uh, This is, of course, in my opinion, a bit of an overstep. Uh, Yes, I do understand that there are domestic threats aimed at the president given this time or the president elect given the time that this is uh, being being recorded. However, I think 25,000, there is troops, airmen and servicemen from every single state and territory that will be present there during the inauguration. I think that's a bit of an excess. I think it's a bit almost a, a, a bit dictatorial, not to say that Joe Biden is coming into his term as a dictator, simply stating that it is a bit of an overstep and a bit of an overreach. And yes, again, I mean, I, I think there's definitely something to be said for increased security, heightened security. But 25,000 troops, which was up from 20,000 just a few days ago, is a bit absurd and and honestly a bit of a, a misstep on the Biden administration. I think they should realize the visuals that this grants, these pictures of Joe Biden being inaugurated with thousands of troops in, in front of him is not going to look great. So they hopefully have a plan to keep those shots from view because it, it just it gives off terrible, terrible impressions. And I think that's it could be a huge problem for the, the Biden administration, especially starting with a number of executive actions that we will see day one and that we'll cover a little bit later on in the podcast. But it could certainly come off as a bit of a militaristic uh, enforcement style that, that could be at least problematic, to say the least. Moving forward with uh, the inauguration, we will also see a lack of Donald Trump. The 45th president will not be president which Joe Biden considered good in his single word response to what he'd been informed about regarding his inauguration. Though, despite Donald Trump's absence from the inauguration, Pence will be there, which one would imagine he would step up and take the role of handing over the keys and and shaking hands and whatnot for the photo shoot. But we will see how far he will push his role within the inauguration process. Uh, There will also be COVID-19 protocols in place, which, as we get to the executive actions in just a minute, will show that Joe Biden is serious about tackling COVID-19, which, of course, seems obvious, especially as vaccine rollout had kind of flopped underneath the Trump admin. We could see a renewed interest in in both security and, and general safety with masks, as we will talk about in just a second, and just general practice of social distancing and ensuring that people are being safe during this time of of continued crisis. It's it's easy to be lost and forgotten in the fact that we're all at home and we're all trying our best to stay safe. But there are still rising cases. People are still dying in the hundreds, the thousands. It's not safe for people to be acting as if we aren't in a crisis. And I've seen a number of people downplaying this, and I think it's a bit ridiculous at this point. And I, I, I hope that people do understand the severity of the situation. But on that note, moving into planned executive actions from the Biden administration day one, we're looking at four executive actions coming out of the Biden administration. Number one being the canceling of the Keystone Pipeline. Number two being the rescinding of the travel ban, which largely targeted Muslim-majority countries. You you may have forgotten at this point in the beginning of Trump's campaign where he wanted to ban Muslims and then they reworked it to be a ban on specific countries that have Muslim majorities to stay within the bounds of the Constitution. Uh, Joe Biden also has number three being rejoining the Paris Accords using executive action. Number four, being a national mask mandate using executive action. 
though we it is foreseen for how long that mask mandate will continue. Uh, the Paris Accords would be permanent, of course, as long uh, along with the removal of the travel ban. The canceling of the Keystone Pipeline, however, is far less cut and dry as it is an energy source being agreed upon two countries, Canada and the United States, that ran through a number of native tribes land that they had broken the treaties for. The uh, the American company had not agreed or, or settled on any any agreement with the tribes and decided to build it there anyways. And of course, this caused a number of problems, has been causing problems for years. Joe Biden finally going through and rather performatively, but still impactfully canceling that pipeline. It, of course, had spilled, leaked. The oil went on to affected the tribe's land and there was a settlement, of course. But it's really honestly, while the pipeline is mostly a very sore spot for national climate discourse, it serves as a wonderful, how do you say, non-factor in the environmentalist push. Yes, it is a massive pipeline that, yes, has leaked once before, but it, it is to be presumed that it would not do so again and that it would be largely safe for the remainder of its operation. However, Joe Biden canceling this, much like fixing water in Flint, would be a massive step, at least in the, the public's eye, towards a certain goal. That goal, of course, here being climate change. And it does, at least to a small degree, impact that fight. And it is a good starting place. I, I'll be the first to say that, of course, he's only doing this for public opinion. But if you forced to do something because of public opinion, at least it's getting done. Uh, and I do actually think that the, the Keystone Pipeline is a great move by the Biden administration and it's a victory for the people. So while it may be a bit of a bittersweet victory, knowing that he probably didn't want to do it, he still has to do it. So that would be an excellent day one. Of course, the Parrot Climate Accords is simply a guideline. There's no enforcement. There was no benefit to leaving. There's no benefit really to staying in. However, again, it's largely a symbolic action of a unilateral multinational agreement that would, of course, move the climate change battle into international discourse, which, of course, is just something we'd want to work for as a, you know, a humane society, as a humane international community. So the Paris Accords is a good step as well, though, again, largely just for show. It doesn't actually change anything. The travel ban, again, not a lot of travel going on these days. Of course, it shows that it is a revolt against the Donald Trump, the 45th president's policies of bigotry and xenophobia, which I think Biden, of course, is trying to fight with all all he can especially with a rocky past on race relations and a bit of a stretched past on bigotry. So it's a good move for Biden and the, the team that, that's working on it clearly knows what they're doing. These executive actions, in my opinion, of course, I don't think executive actions should really exist in anything other than a time of crisis. However, that would still leave the national mask mandate as something that Biden could do, in my view, of how the Constitution and the executive branch should work. Honestly, it's not that much of a stretch. These were all left. Most, most of these things were done through executive action anyways. I know that's a bit of a questionable philosophy on how executive action should work. But at this point, I'm not the one choosing. I don't really have a say. So it's not the worst thing in the world. I'm not seeing it as some ripping up of the Constitution. If we were going to go to that, we'd have to go to the base of the executive actions being expanded in the first place, which we've talked about previously on the podcast. But for the most part, looking at the, the planned executive actions and the inauguration, Biden does seem to have most of his wits together moving forward. And I think he may have the chance to hit the ground running, especially with progressives circling around Bernie Sanders and with Bernie Sanders 
very likely of being appointed to a, a good position in the Senate to, to make good change. This could be a great start for a progressive reconciliation with Joe Biden, especially following the primary and the very rocky general election that could have gone either way. Of course, we've talked about that before. But had the progressives not shown up for Biden, there could have been a devastating loss. So at least the reconciliation is beginning. And with this administration, it could move forward and possibly save the Democratic Party, though. Let's not go that grand scale. We only know these so far. And of course, next episode, we'll keep in touch as soon as we know what Joe Biden has done and what he is going to be doing, especially with new appointments happening every single day. This administration could be a game changer or it could be all the same old, same old, like a first term Obama where nothing happens and we all get very, very disappointed. So that is to be all summed up in Joe Biden moving forward with these plans does put him in a great spot. However, all of it remains to be seen. Our next story, of course, is going to be Donald Trump's impeachment continuing on to the final hour before his departure from office. Uh, it doesn't look great for Trump. And why do I say that? Well, it looks like Mitch McConnell has finally lost fervor for defending him. And the man is somewhat given up, walked away, thrown his hands up and said, fine, you guys do whatever you're going to do. Because, of course, the Republican Party is reeling from Donald Trump and his populist rhetoric has torn the country apart, especially looking at things like the Capitol riots and the Black Lives Matter March for Justice. These these things happening under Trump's terms have really painted the Republican Party in a difficult spot. And with Donald Trump's rhetoric not toning down following these actions, Mitch McConnell has been forced to at least recognize that they existed, which is something he'd lived in blissful ignorance from. And now that the discourse had hit the Senate, especially with the Capitol riots disrupting the Senate's meeting itself, forcing him to relocate, it has put him in a tough spot and a spot where he can't really pretend it doesn't exist. Nothing can be swept under the rug when you have to adjourn a Senate meeting during an insurrection. Mitch McConnell has found himself in a difficult spot. He, as majority leader for now, can't actionably defend the president in any way that would save face of the Republican Party. So the best thing he can do, in my opinion, and by the opinion of many others, possibly himself, uh, he has no choice but to let the Republican Party distance itself from Donald Trump, which would mean letting him be impeached and removing any chance that he would return to office in 2024 and probably sullying the chances of his children ever moving forward in politics. Though, with that said, Donald Trump's base remains strong. Even in the Senate, you have people like Senator Hawley, Cruz, and Graham all absolutely staying stalwart to the president and remaining, quite honestly, loyal to his base, which they're hoping will continue to flood their coffers with all sorts of donations moving into races that probably will be quite difficult following Georgia. It is at least speculated that most of these people will have difficult runs, especially following Joe Biden's entrance into office. If the approval ratings stay at least above 50 percent or fluttering around there, you could see races start to change all across America. And especially with Senate seats up in places like Pennsylvania in 2022, it might be difficult for Republicans to hold on. So with people like Holly Cruz and Graham staying firm in their belief that the president has done nothing wrong or at least outwardly presenting as so, this defense mechanism probably won't work because they know they've lost votes in the House and they've likely lost votes in the Senate. People like Mitt Romney are willing to impeach him before on charges that were, at least in a national sense, not quite as obvious as they are now. 
uh, the incitement of violence and riot at the Capitol are very, very palpable and obvious news stories that most Americans can at least recognize happened, which is a step up from the last impeachment, meaning that Mitt Romney is very likely to vote yes again. And there are many other Republicans. I know we talked about it last week, but there were at least two Republican senators coming out of Pennsylvania and Alaska that were willing to vote against Donald Trump in impeachment. So it doesn't look good for Donald Trump by any stretch of the imagination and very well could end the political dynasty that he'd only just started four years ago. And our final story today are going to be two international stories, one being directly related to the United States and one being less so, though they both are impactful in geopolitical spheres. So it's worth covering, especially on the magnitude that this non-American one is. So it is definitely worth covering. Uh, It's it's the story about Alexei Navalny coming back from Germany after five months in exile, returning to Moscow, where he won 30 percent of the vote in opposition against Vladimir Putin, who, of course, has been the country's de facto ruler the past many decades. And he was arrested by state police after landing, which was to the shock of nobody. And his return was honestly a bit foolish, and many journalists had called him out on it. However, he was determined to return home, uh, has now been arrested by state police. There's no idea, no telling whether he'll be shot or he'll be effectively kneecapped from politics. Nobody knows. Honestly, it's a it's a very difficult position to at least uh, speculate on. However, it is impactful, as, of course, it's important to remind everyone that Vladimir Putin is a dictator, de facto or not. He is granted more of an oligarch, but it is still a terrifying thought that a large and very, very hostile country to the United States is run by a man with almost absolute power, even going as far as to murder political opponents. Yes, you see this in North Korea or Cuba or many regime changes across Latin America and the Middle East, which have been facilitated through instability on Western nations, not to be ignored. However, this story has large implications as it, of course, means Vladimir Putin will continue his reign in Russia continuing his devastation of any opposition to his rule. His hand-picked successor will likely rule after him in the same manner. And as we've seen in Turkey and Hungary and many countries across the globe, we've seen a regression in democratic values in one-thought democratic nation-states. So it is certainly a, a difficult story to stomach and a saddening story to hear as it certainly threatens the stability of international politics and quite honestly could make waves for the next few months if we don't figure out where he's been, much like Chinese billionaire Jack Ma being abducted by the state. We don't know what's going on. And it's just one of those stories that you have to move on and and hope to hear news of and hope to hear the well-being of both these persons. However, uh, these these, you know, anti-democratic, anti-capitalist abductions uh, should not be normalized. They should not be normal. And the last thing we want to see is it happening closer and closer to home, especially in places like Russia, who borders NATO. China is often seen as a distant threat. And so places like China, North Korea are sort of written off. However, Russia, again, is a player in Western politics and is an important character to remind yourself that Vladimir Putin is not a good guy. He never has been a good guy and he never probably never will be a good guy, uh, though maybe that's not for me to say. However, just looking at the story in an individual vacuum space, it's scary. So continuing, we will update on that story as it could mean a lot coming forward. But until then, we know nothing. And to wrap it all up, we'll talk about Secretary Pompeo's designation of Cuba as a state sponsor of terrorism. Uh, This, of course, is a desperate attempt for at least a small boost in approval by Secretary Pompeo and Donald Trump, the Trump administration, 
to sort of engender fear from the Cubans. It's a very strange move as Cuba has not been an active player in sponsoring terrorism for many, many decades. And yes, while they were our enemies during the Cold War and during events such as the Cuban Missile Crisis, that's a long time ago. And quite honestly, they have not made any strides in sponsoring terrorism across Latin America, as Pompeo suggests in his memo. So it's a bit of a strange move, but it certainly does, again, paint the Donald Trump administration and it paints the Republican Party as xenophobic and fear mongering. Uh, when it comes to international relations to push for an American first mentality that, as we know, in the modern the modern age doesn't work with international economics. So it's it's a desperate attempt from a failed administration, but it certainly possibly could not be the last from the Republican Party. And it may, in, you know, engender terrible will from the Cubans, who, of course, have been locked down for many decades and would be awesome if we could start trading with them. I'm sure quality of life for both countries would automatically improve. And small things like these international relations that we often write off as, oh, that's just how it is. It doesn't have to be how it is. And it's this active aggression, this active distancing from peace, from reconciliation that both countries do take that I think is just a bit uh, saddening. It's it's a bit ridiculous and it's a bit saddening. Uh, we saw a bit of improvement under the Obama administration that was almost immediately gone back on by Donald Trump. So we will see how this furthers this story. I don't expect a follow up as I'm not sure there will be any action taken on the Cuban side, though, if there is, uh, we will certainly talk about it again, uh, much like the story with Alexi, we will follow up with because, again, it's, it's one of those things that's just either overlooked or not cared about here in America. That is oftentimes something we should be looking at because the international field of politics often has examples of what not to do and examples of what to do. Uh, in many situations that we may be presented with as Americans or as an American nation or with allies who may face these problems. Moving forward, of course, in conclusion, we, we really do have Biden's inauguration in just a few short days. And there's a lot going on in those first hundred days that Biden will be trying to push through, especially with international relations and, and the temperature on the globe rising uh, in both a literal and figurative sense. Uh, so there's a lot more to come and make sure to stay tuned uh, until next time. Thank you for listening through to the end. We'd really appreciate it if you check us out at Aligning America on Instagram and Twitter. And if you really enjoyed it and want more content like this, be sure to head over to our Patreon to ensure we can keep putting out episodes, changing hearts and minds one podcast at a time. Thank you.